Thanos to Theos is a new podcast in the Rooted Podcast Network that features conversations ranging from ministry and theology to comics and culture. Everyone, welcome to the Thanos to Theos podcast. We're a podcast that talks about comics and culture and all the way ranging to ministry and theology uh, as youth pastors, as comic fans, and as just all-around nerds. Uh, my name is Clark, and I'm one of the hosts here from San Francisco, California. And I'm Mike, and I'm a youth pastor out in the Boston area. And I'm Kevin, and I'm a youth pastor out here in the Southern California. So, so even right before we started this, we've been having some debates you know, there's a new podcast so you've been not listening. Not debate, just discussion. Okay, some discussion just over... discussion, not debate. The debate's later. How we actually pronounce the name of our podcast, which we <laughs> didn't even think about until now, episode four. Um, so, so there's some debate out there. Do, do, all right, so theos is theos, word for God theos, in Greek. Theos, it's an Omicron um, sigma. I, I've been saying theos in some of the previous podcasts, so I apologize for that. I did take Greek, unlike <laughs> a dropout in our midst. Um, but but Thanos, or th- there's some debate if you pronounce it Thanos, Thanos, Th- Thanos, Thanos. See, I mean, I always I always say Thanos because I feel like that's the Greek way of that's saying the it. Greek, and but but then I get torn over the Greek way <laughs> of saying it or the comic way of saying it, which is Thanos. But, but is it Thanos? It's it's a short. It's a short alpha, and it's not an Omicron, or it's not an Omega, it's an Omicron. So it should be Thanos, Than- right? In the Greek, yes. Theoretically, in the, in the Greek, it's Thanos. Like Thanatos, because his name comes from the Greek word for death. Right. But in the comic world, that's not the way you say it. So do I live in the comic world or the <laughs> nerd? <laughs> the Who are you going to be true world? to? <laughs> right. So either the American... Version of the comic book uh, American villain. Koine Greek. Yeah. Or do we do Koine Greek? Yeah. Exactly. Either way, we're total dorks. <laughs> probably for our listeners, probably for our listeners, we should stick with the comic uh, lore. Of... I think so. Yeah. We Even then, though, I'm torn because I, I pronounce it Thanos. But I've heard Thanos. Yeah, so you know, most uh, of the I characters think we agree that it's MCU like Augustine or Augustine. Either <laughs> either one is fine. <laughs> is it though? Because my theology professor was very clear. It's Augustine, not oh, see, Augustine. My theology, all of my theology professors at Gordon Conwell were like, you know what? People make a big deal out of it. Any pronunciation is fine in the greek and latin and whatever doesn't matter it's all good okay well there you go so the conclusion is so whatever you want whatever (laughs) Whatever you're feeling like maybe i'll change it up from podcast to podcast for our intros just to keep people on their toes way to be accurate (laughs) but theos is theos not theos Theos is theos not theos yes yes but you know the parallelism with thanos theos it's just it's just too tempting i know yeah it's just get caught in that okay anyways it's over contextualization to call it thanos so now that we've cleared that up uh this week we're going to be talking uh about as we're still in the midst of this quarantine and the coronavirus um this whole this whole idea of lament and grief versus hope, 
Uh, there was an article put out by N.T. Wright on through Time, Time Publication, titled, Christianity Offers No Answers About the Coronavirus. It's Not Supposed to. That got a lot of uh, buzz in the beginning, like positive, I think. But then there was also a lot of pushback. Um, a lot of people just kind of thinking, well, Christianity does have answers and it does offer hope. So we wanted to talk about that uh, and then just even talk about from there practically, how do we address this idea of hope in the midst of grief and laments um, from a pop culture perspective, from a pastoral and youth student, youth ministry perspective. So when you guys read the article, what were you guys' first thoughts and some of the response articles that came out? So I'm going to be honest. When the article first dropped, I saw everyone posting it. And um, I mean, shock of all shocks. I'm not the biggest N.T. Wright fan. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't think that he's like heretical. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not down with the new perspective on Paul. Yeah. So um, I'm just, you know not like, ooh, I need to read everything that he writes. Yeah. Um, so I saw a bunch of my Anglican friends posting it, and you know, it seemed to be getting good reviews and whatever, but I was like, no, I just don't need more things to read, honestly, to be <laughs> yes. critical of and to find things to <laughs> theologically disagree with people about. Um, I, and you have I, I try not to, to be that guy because I have been that guy for different yeah. seasons of life, so I try to avoid <laughs> things that will lead me into that. And then... Um, some nameless person who is also on this podcast who does not do the intros posted the article um, Subtle. and called it heresy. So at that point, I decided that I should probably read the article and figure out what was going on. Yeah. N.T. right? More like N.T. wrong. Oh, like he's never heard that one before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. No, so I mean... You know, that the headline obviously is meant to be it's meant to get you to read the article, right? Like there's no question about that. And so and when the article published first came in out, Time. Yeah, Time. Yeah. Time magazine. Time right. magazine, yeah. So, you know, I, I read it with an open mind, but in the end I didn't feel like it was a complete article. You know my my gut reaction actually in the beginning was oh, the editors must have cut something out. Mm. Like I felt like it was an incomplete article. So what was it that that frustrated or yeah what was it that made you feel like there must be something going on here yeah what what else should he have expanded on or talked about or you know yeah so for me the thing that was missing was that he didn't point to jesus uh-huh. not as like so i mean i wasn't expecting the article to be like in the end you know we can you know like eventually this will pass and blah 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 you know like mm-hmm. That's not the way I expected the article to to wrap up, but I expected there to be some sense of pointing to Christ in some way, even though the the headline itself is like, you know, it offers no answers to coronavirus. It's not supposed to, but I was thinking at the end of it, it would be like, but Jesus himself is the, you know what I mean? It's so he's not so much about Christianity, but it is about Jesus, the the person, right? Um, that that offers us the 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 hope to be able to sustain us through times like this. But it doesn't even have that, and so I felt like it had been cut off. That there was something that was missing. Gotcha. All right, so. Um, Clark, how would you summarize what the article actually says? Because I think we've jumped into criticizing it before we've um, right. yeah, yeah, that's a good kind point. of captured for, for any listeners who may not yeah. have actually read it. Um, so it, from my just, I, I only read through it a couple of times. Um, just I read it through once and I was like, I don't, 
I don't get why everyone hates this article. So I read it again with a little more of a critical eye. <laughs> but basically, the gist I got was he was saying that we tend to have this jumping to theological answers in the midst of grief or we're now we're now in a pandemic. And so he's saying that instead of just jumping straight to theological answers, we need to ask the question, does Christianity even offer those answers we're looking for? Um, and then he kind of talks about lamenting and the purpose of laments. Uh, he quotes, I very distinctly remember him quoting Psalm 88, the beginning and ending in despair. Um, and just how like there's, it's okay to be in this space where we don't have answers and we can't see the end, like hope for the end being in sight. That's basically the gist I got from it. I don't know if I'm missing anything you would add in, Mike. Yeah, I see the thing that stood out to me um, is this this middle section. So I'm going to read a few lines. Yeah. Um, no doubt the usual silly suspects will tell us why God is doing this to us. A punishment, a warning, a sign. Uh, and, and, uh, side note, I think we've all he- we've all heard that by now. Right. 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 I mean, we've all heard, you know, preachers and people on the radio and internet and people on Facebook passing yeah. on articles about why all this is happening, right? So yeah. I think he's I think that is the subtext that he's responding to. Then he continues he's saying, uh, these are knee-jerk, uh, would-be Christian reactions in a culture which generations back embraced rationalism. Everything must have an explanation. But supposing it doesn't, supposing real human wisdom doesn't mean being able to string together some dodgy speculations and say, so that's all right then. What if, after all... There are moments such as T.S. Eliot recognized in the early 1940s when the only advice is to wait without hope because we'd be hoping for the wrong thing. And I think that's the part that people are really getting angry about is this exhortation to wait without hope. But I think they're misunderstanding what he's saying because he's he's arguing against this knee-jerk reaction. And and that's for me... So for me, when I read this article, and even just thinking about where we are now, um, I do think there's a place for being in this, the midst of like, the midst of despair and not having an answer that we can look forward to as the end. So that that's what I was thinking about. It wasn't that, you know, Wright is talking about hope generally like we have zero hope in the christian faith but rather like hope in this specific circumstance or specific circumstances of grieving and despair that it's okay if we don't have answers to our questions of why uh and that's why he brought out the psalms yeah and so i I didn't take it as saying to wait without hope period i mean nt wright wrote a book called surprised with by hope right 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 um so I mean, clearly he he is a Christian. I mean, he believes in Jesus as our hope. Um, so I, I think that what he means by waiting without hope is a specific and particular hope. Yes. About this precise coronavirus season, that God will just make it all go away, and He will keep you safe and healthy, and no one you love or care about will get sick and die. Yeah. And I think that's the type of hopefulness and false promise um, that he's addressing and trying to caution against. Um, But I totally agree with Kevin. So I want you to talk a little bit like about that. He never actually makes that transition from talking about and making it clear. So 
Um, right. He never actually gets to the Jesus part, and he he's not really very clear about what he means. So I think is yeah. very open to and interpretation. That's why. Right. Well, and the and and moving from the which everyone ta- attacks him on moving from the hope specific to the hope eternal, so to speak. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's the issue. Uh, I mean, the article ends with him saying that if you do engage in and re re pick up the Christian tradition of lament. Um, he mentions this. He says, as the spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. But the idea is like, but that's without explaining. And again, this is in Time Magazine. Right, right. And they're giving him this column space to be able to talk about how to do this well. And basically, he doesn't point to Christ as the place in which that happens. Right. That's, the, I think, the problem that I have with it, too. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, and, and, and when you read the text, um, it says, as the Spirit laments within us, this, the word Spirit is capital S, you know, pointing to mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. Right. But in kind of a new agey world that we live in, people are going to read that and just think like, oh, our spirits within us lament. And we become little shrines within this sure. wonderful new age world, right? So, I, I, and I think that's the thing where like, in Christ, as a Christian, I can read this and say... Um, yeah, okay, I don't have a huge problem with that. I wish you worded it differently. Yeah. But I, I think what people have jumped all over, um, which, Kevin, you're bringing out, is like, as as pastors and ministers, are we, um, are we faithful to make things clear about what we are trying to say so it's not misinterpreted and misunderstood? Right. And right. I think he left himself open to a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah. And I have a hard time believing that he didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's not just the clarity part, but I think it's to me also like the stewardship of that space in yeah. Time Magazine as uh-huh. a whole, and considering its you know audience. So that's why again initially I was like, oh, maybe they just lopped that off the editors. Yeah. But I mean, these are his words, and he didn't you know he yeah, didn't yeah issue a you know correction on it. And then actually, up. yeah, very recently, um, Christianity Today interviewed Anti Wright as a follow-up to this particular article. And right. it doesn't really clarify all that much. You know, the interviewer, in a sense, tries to clarify more on his behalf. Yeah. <laughs> he fills in what Wright did not say. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the author tries to like do damage control for him because right, he right, wouldn't right, right. walk back some of the <laughs> things that were misunderstood. Yeah. Well, okay, so in, in talking about this particular article and its responses, did you guys read anything or pick up on anything that anyone else wrote on this issue that you felt was helpful. I thought that a lot of the articles that specifically were responses to this were very ungracious. Yeah. And I honestly was kind of disgusted by, by one of them in particular who, whose name I'm not going to call out Um, others. I thought, you know, had really clever titles, (laughs) (laughs) you know, lots of like things about his surprise by hope and his name. And he writes, um, you know, and too wrong, or uh-huh. where's the hope, and you know, type of things. Yeah. Um, but I just I love I a good know. pun. I just think that in our reformed camp, we we need to be. Yeah. Uh, we talk a lot about grace, but I don't see it, and yeah. that really frustrates me. Um, because it's like, dude, he's like way high up there in the Anglican Church, and right. he's held the line on many areas and. Uh, issues that we totally agree on. 
Um, he wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. So don't go telling me that he doesn't believe that there is such thing as Christian hope. Yeah. Um, like, just we need to be generous towards the people that we disagree with rather than making straw men out of them. Because yeah. when people do that to us, we get ticked off. And um, yeah, I was just, I was really pretty angry, to be honest, uh, by some of the articles from our camp criticizing the article because I just thought they were so slanted and unfair. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point to make. I mean, I, I think I, Mike's trying to get me to apologize to him. <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't offended by anything you said. Um, but some of the articles, I was just like, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. Like one of them went through and basically like exegeted his article like point <laughs> by point. And I was like, you are literally doing the very thing that he was urging people not to do in his article. Yeah, yeah. Like you are literally doing the thing that he is criticizing. Yeah. And so this is actually why I appreciated the article. And and again, to your point, Mike, what I didn't like about the response articles was, I. so I, I'm thinking, you know, for us being in post-Christian cities, what if like, you know, my barista at my local coffee shop saw this and read it? What what uh, picture or, or sense of Christianity are they getting? And that's where I was thinking for N.T. Wright, he's writing with that in mind because it's Time Magazine. Yeah. And he's trying to write with like this softness, almost like apologetic tone for Christians that quickly jump to blast, like on social media or in politics uh, or on the news about, you know, this is God's judgment over us or we need to repent and rise up. But he's just offering like and this open space And in post-Christian to Britain too. You know, yeah, yeah, of course, exactly. Um, so that's where I was thinking of it, and and where definitely some of the response articles totally miss that point and just jump straight to this, like, you know, this I know the answers, here's what you need to believe, and that's good enough. Um, but I, I, I like that having this space to to lament without answers. Um, and I think part of that comes even from my own experience. Uh, I've like a lot of people know me, they know I've struggled through depression. Uh, in a variety of different ways, seeking professional help and counseling, but even just personal spiritual uh, spiritual darkness. And when people tried to give me theological answers, those were the worst answers I could have gotten. But it was when people offered me the space to just wait and sit without hope that I actually was able to find some peace and then eventually get to hope. But it took this period of lament first. And I think, to me, that's what right is calling for, um, and so, so I personally, probably the best article I read over this was actually one over, not to be biased, but over on our rooted blog, um, by Chris Talbot, uh, because he, he talks about it. He talks about being in Job where, you know, his friends, they're, they're, they're wrong with speaking up and speaking their mind and giving theological answers. But he also mentions, we still have this, this greater hope that we can look to that Jesus is still working out his good for his elect. Um, I just think having that, like, that that's very good theological wisdom and insight to have that balance. Yeah, I loved Chris's article, um, and honestly, I mean, I think that it's, I think it's one of the best articles on Rooted that I've read in a long time because it does such a good job holding the tension uh, between the theological concern and the pastoral concern. And I yeah. think um, what I what I saw in Wright's article was a pastoral tone, and then it mm-hmm. got corrected with a lot of theological tone yes. type of yeah. language yeah. and looking at the same issue and the same circumstance. Um, I heard a lot of theologian type of talk. 
when people needed a pastor. And yes. I think that it's good. Um, this article, Stop Looking for a Greater Good by Chris Talbot, um, is so good. I mean, he says, uh, we can still have hope. While I would argue that we need to stop looking in each act of evil and suffering for a greater good, yeah. we do need to look for the greatest good, Jesus Christ, Amen. period. And it's like, oh, and boom. Like stop. that. Yeah. That so sentence good. right there hooked me. So good. And was so insightful and pastorally, pastorally wise. Um, I, I think it's really worth reading a few times yeah. over and maybe even bookmarking to share with people. Definitely. So, okay, so we're talking about these articles, obviously, but we don't want to just talk about articles because we are a podcast on comics and culture and ministry. Um, so when we think and when we see and think about our cultures, our present culture's view of grief and lament and hope specifically in the midst of that, and then also how do we talk about that with our students in youth ministry and ministry in general? Um, how do we bring this in and maybe even address some of the ways our culture views grief and hope? Yeah, I, I think about that scene in Endgame where Steve Rogers, Captain America, is meeting with the support group uh, five years later after the snap happens. And half of the global population is gone and people are figuring, trying to figure out how to move on and what that looks like. And he gives this inspiring speech with the great background music and everything. Oh, true um, Captain just, America fashion. Oh, such a Captain so America good. speech. It's amazing. Uh, he should be a motivational speaker who <laughs> does not live in a van down by the river. Um, and he's just like, you know what? You, you got to move on. That's those little brave baby steps we got to take to try and come whole again, try and find purpose. I went in the ice in 45 right after I met the love of my life. Woke up 70 years later. You got to move on. Got to move on. The world is in our hands. It's left to us, guys. And we got to do something with it. Otherwise... Thanos should have killed all of us. I think that on one hand, the message like you need to move on is is good, um, but like how do we move on? Yeah. I also think it's important to see that they knew Thanos's motivation of um, you know trying to thin the herd, so to speak. But even though they knew the motivation behind the snap, it didn't help them grieve any less. And I think that's also, that reflects what our culture believes about lament and hoping in the midst of grief. I mean, it's always, it always comes back to something surrounding like, you know, we have the own individual strength within us to overcome it. Um, we have to rise up over the challenge and make a way for hope for ourselves uh, like even if you go to Endgame, like you can think of um, when when they're having that conversation, Cap and Scarlet, uh, Scarlet Johansson, Black Widow, and basically she's basically saying like, "I have to make this right. We have to do whatever it takes to make it right um, and bring everyone back." But it's all just this, you know, self humanitarian effort. 
And I, I think when I think about and see our culture's view and our students and the way they're thinking about grief and how do you find hope, um, it's usually something to the effect of, you know, things things are bad, the cards are stacked against you, but how are you going to prove yourself in this and show you can do anything? I mean, it's essentially the message of our world. You can do anything you set your mind to. And that applies also to grief and overcoming it and finding hope. So how do we see the theme of hope as a consistent string holding not just, you know, the MCU and the movies, uh, but comics in general um, together? I mean, I, I think about like the X-Men um, and the the fight for mutant acceptance and, um, you know, the different... Um, the different approaches to trying to to have peace for mutants between you know Xavier um, and Magneto, even um, how do we see hope as a consistent theme in comics in general? And is that is that hopeful for us to think about? Well, but I think Clark is right. Like a lot of the storylines having to do with the actual superheroes themselves has to do with this idea of like picking yourself up off the ground. Yeah. You know, like Spider-Man, for example, is well known for being the hero that always somehow ends up in a ditch somewhere, but you know, based off of his own inner strength is able to pick himself up and succeed. So he's inspirational in that sense. And I think comic books are good for that, for helping people to recognize the, the inner strength that you have. But that's not always going to be the case. Right. You're not always going to be able to tap into, quote-unquote, the inner strength that you have to be able to um, work your way out of a situation. Well, and sometimes you need a teammate. You know, Whether or not you're like part of Avengers. a team like the X-Men <laughs> or the Avengers, right. or if there's just a, a duo who, who tag team for a particular challenge, um, sometimes you need to be rescued. Is that your Jesus moment, Jesus juke? No, no, because I, I hope I'm a, I hope I'm above Jesus juking, Clark. Um, but, but really though, I mean, I, I think that that's one of the reasons why I love Spidey so much is exactly what Kevin said. Like he always ends up in a ditch. Um, yeah. s- somehow or another. He's the weakest superhero. <laughs> oh, don't even get me going. So how does this how does this now come into play with how we pastorally help our students and our people and even ourselves dealing with hope in the midst of our laments, whether it's now in this pandemic or just in general as we go through grief, finding hope and yet having this, like Mike, I think what you said was really good, that the theological truth and reality, but the pastoral response. Well, I think it's good for us to go back to story, right? So I think it's good for us to go back to story. I think Job in the Bible is the perfect place for us to go to. Um, again, lots of people have been referencing Job in the midst of all of this, but I think it it's worth making the point that, again, um, Job doesn't get the answers, right? In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, it's not like an angel comes down and is sent from the Lord to be like, hey, Job, okay, let me tell you a secret. What's actually going on is there's this cosmic battle in the background. God, you know, uh, Satan made a bet with God and basically, you know, you're in the midst of this. So just hang on a little bit longer and then you'll be rewarded for everything. Like Job doesn't have any idea of any of the cosmic stuff that's happening in the background. He just knows what he's lost. Right. And even in the midst of that, when 
God does finally show up. Yes, God speaks to Job and God receives of Job. But we have to remember the form in which God takes to speak to Job, right? He comes in the form of like the wind and and essentially like a tornado and basically tells Job like, okay, you guys need to stop talking. You know, um, this is who I am. And, you know, are you able to do the things that I do in the universe? And essentially God shows off his might, his majesty, his power, his glory, and his holiness. And in that, Job just says at the end, like, okay, yeah. All right, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And and essentially, Job gets rebuked by God, right? Like, who are you to speak to me? But I think that's where it's it's important to make the distinction. Like, that's God doing the rebuking of Job when he meets him. Right. It's not his friends. And I think too often we get in this place, maybe with some of these you know theological theologians responding to N.T. Wright's article, where we think we need to be God's spokesperson and rebuke God's people for him. Um, so I, I see it kind of like that where there, there's a time and place to rebuke, but when it's usually not when people are grieving and in the midst of it. Um, what, one of my favorite pieces of scripture to reference is, is actually one N.T. Wright reference in Psalm 88, uh, where you get humans crying out to God. And it begins in despair, it ends in despair, and basically he's just... He's just railing on God, like, you've left me to die. All my friends hate me. Everyone around me is prospering, but not me. What are you doing? Why are you abandoning me? And it just ends there. But one thing I love about that is, I mean, aside from the fact first that 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 exists in the Bible is comforting to me because it gives this freedom and space to to lament and grieve and even cry out to God in this very Psalm 22 fashion, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, but I think also you see this this thread throughout the Psalm where, Three times, I believe, he still cries out to God and he addresses him as Yahweh. And so it's not that he's forgotten God as his covenant-keeping, faithful God, but he's still questioning what he's doing and why he's doing it. And so to me, that's where I find hope for myself um, as I wrestle through my own darkness, but also as I help shepherd and guide kids and, and students and people in my church and asking this question of, you know, it's okay to grieve. And, and I think I think what Wright was trying to get at, when we have that space to grieve without that hope to lament, God can meet us there with a deeper sense of his covenant faithfulness. And to me, that's the point of Psalm 88. Yeah, that's so good. I, I've always been drawn to the imagery of God as a refuge in strength of trouble, you know, from Psalms. Yeah. Um, so where, uh, you know, I, I obviously really like the book of, of Job. Um, but I, I've always really found special comfort in Psalms in the midst of trouble and suffering and, uh, the whole theodicy question. Um, because I love that the prayer book of the Bible has verses like, God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far off? Why are you silent? Um, even while there's these verses of God as a refuge. Um, because when do you need a refuge? You know, when do you need a strong tower? Uh, it's when you're under attack. Um, and is that where we run when the fiery arrows of life and of suffering and of worry uh, come flying in our direction? Do we run to the Lord uh, or do we run elsewhere as our refuge and as our strong tower? Um, and so, um, 
I think that pastorally with students, I think that's a fair question to throw out there for consideration, but the tone that you ask it with makes all the difference because it's a question that you can ask that's very finger pointy. Um, do you run to the Lord as your refuge or do you run elsewhere? And, um, but asking it in a way that prompts students to really consider the question, I think, is is just faithful ministry, you know, and um, inviting them to see and to recognize that they have a great high priest who understands, who identifies and sympathizes with all of their feelings, with all of their temptations, with all of their pain and agony and grief and betrayal and abandonment um, that reminding them Jesus understands. He like literally understands, not just metaphorically understands because he's God. Um, He sympathizes with you and in your pain and in your despair and in your uncertainty about what's coming next, Um, that we have a great high priest uh, who both sympathizes and is at, at the same time is our strong tower and our refuge. And I've just, I, I've always found that um, to be a good place to leave students, not with a buttoned up answer, yeah. uh, but usually with a prompt to grab a pen and a journal and encourage them to spend some time writing and praying and uh, thinking on paper or out loud or with a doodle or how whatever they need for them to process that question. Would you think that it's pastorally appropriate to ask people what they've already been doing in terms of like, where have you been running to for your refuge in a time like this? Again, I, I think it's it depends on the context. If it's a small group um, where you already have that type of conversation happening, then yeah, for sure. Um, if it's one-on-one, then yes. Um, in a large group setting, you're probably going to get crickets. Unless it's a hypothetical question. Well, as, as a hypothetical question to... Because I think, you know, times like this also, they reveal things about us. And yeah. they reveal, yeah. you know, where, where we do find our comfort. Right. I think, you know, I think that's a great question to ask. And it's even one I've been reflecting on myself um during this time what what do i believe about god uh where is my faith placed what is being exposed about me um like even just yesterday i was thinking about uh for the rooted devotionals mark chapter 4 when jesus jesus is asleep in the boat and he's leading the disciples onto the ocean and the great storm arises uh i think one of the things mark is trying to reveal is that type of faith that the disciples have because they they call upon Jesus as teacher and then he gets up and he silences the storm and then they're in shock and they stand back and say who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him so it's it's in a sense revealing two things it's revealing what they believe about Jesus and what he's going to do for them or what they want him to do for them but it also reveals who Jesus is truly to them uh, revealing Christ's character to the disciples so I think it, it there is a you know, a both and of this is an opportunity to to f- find greater revelation of ourselves 
and our own beliefs and our own theology, so to speak, whether or not that's about God or ourselves, um, and in relation to him. And then, and then hopefully find the, the answers or the peace or the hope that comes, uh, in God revealing himself a little bit more to us, like in Job. So ultimately when we think about grief and, um, helping our students to cling to hope, um, how do you specifically point them to the gospel in that moment? Um, I think it's important to point our students specifically to Jesus and the fact that he suffered on the cross, right? That we don't have necessarily the exact answers for what we're going through right now, but we know that God cares yeah, because Jesus dies on the cross, right? That God knows what suffering is. He's not some deity that created the world and then allowed suffering to enter into it and stands far off. He entered into the world. He himself suffered on the cross. And so therefore all suffering has some meaning. We don't exactly know, but it's not meaningless suffering. And so therefore we have hope because you look to the cross and you see that the God who created the world entered into the world and suffered for the world. And rose from the grave. Yeah. Well, I was even going to say too, even the, so the, the road to resurrection hope is through the cross and suffering and death, but he also waited a day, a day and a half before he rose. I mean, he spent all of Saturday and then another presumably like 12 hours or so, um, in the grave, in the tomb. Uh, and so there's like this space in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday where there's just waiting for the disciples, for his mother, even for Jesus, as he's awaiting this, you know, this final glorified resurrection. Um, and I think to, to me that speaks powerfully around the Easter story in the gospel, uh, that, that sometimes there is this in-between waiting where, where, you know, I think about for the disciples, they didn't know Jesus was going to rise from the dead. I mean, he had said that, but it wasn't clear to them. So they were just lamenting. Um, and so in this spirit, in this space, this period of waiting, uh, we find this hope come out of it as Jesus beginning to work out hope and salvation from behind this curtain of death where it's not yet apparent. Yeah. And that if he, if he only died on the cross as our substitute, but did not rise from the grave, then he would be able to sympathize with us in our suffering, but not help us overcome. Right, no way out. Yeah. But because of the empty tomb, um, we have life and hope and peace and um, it, it's, it doesn't make a, a pretty necklace uh, the way a cross does. Um, but I, I think that we really need to emphasize the resurrection. Um, and that's why, you know, the Catholics have a crucifix with Jesus on the cross and Protestants usually have a empty cross to signify um, that the cross is empty, that he rose from the grave. Um, and I, I think that the, the resurrection really, um, is super important and that, that, so even just last youth, last youth group, that's what I focused on with them. And obviously it was Easter. So, so you had to, but, um, just really anchoring in with them on, uh, what are some of the apologetic reasons that we have to believe that Jesus actually historically, literally, physically rose from the grave? And what difference does that make? Um, because if Jesus has rose from the grave, um, then that makes all the difference in the world. But if he just died on the cross as our substitute, but stayed in the grave, 
then it's kind of like a okay and um so i don't know i i try to maybe it's just me and i'm just jaded um probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but i i yeah i try to emphasize the empty tomb and the the resurrection with students just as much as i do the cross um because that's why we have hope yeah and i think that like our attraction to the gospel story, the full gospel story of the Savior who dies and resurrects again, is I think why comic books, in particular the Marvel heroes, have gained such traction in our culture. Because yes. they're not just heroes that never suffer, yep. right? Like the Marvel superheroes, especially in the comic books anyway, like I think Stan Lee is quoted somewhere saying he wanted to differentiate Marvel heroes from the DC comics by uh-huh. having them be more like normal and suffer and uh-huh. have uh-huh. problems, you know, like... Um, Spider-Man, for example, like Peter Parker always loses for sure. Like (laughs) in terms of his secret identity, right? He's not successful at what he does. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes him a sympathetic character. And I think there's more that we identify with in those storylines. Yeah. Although, you know, DC has been making a decent pivot in that direction. Um, but I think the Marvel superheroes is, is, we're more attracted to them because of the weaknesses that we see. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's more identity there. Yeah. Well, there's always hope. Yeah. And even to go back to that opening scene you brought up, Mike, just to, at the very beginning of Captain America sitting in, in Endgame in the movie, sitting in the support group. He's like, I mean, this is, to, for me, it's totally like a, this is Jesus the high priest, right? Not to Jesus Juke, but it was a moment where I was like, wait, has Cap been just leading su- small support groups of like five people for the last five years? He's freaking Captain America, why aren't there more people in the support group? Um, Attractional but, ministry club. Yeah, right? Just, they you know, need better advertising. Come on! <laughs> but but well, I mean... Half the people you throw a shield at are gone. Yeah, so. I <laughs> but I mean, something that I found just like intriguing about that was, you know, and granted it's a movie, so they do it for movie's sake. But just the fact that he's there with this small group of like five to ten people identifying in their suffering, like he went through the same thing. And then he tries to offer, you know, his great cap speech. But but to me, that's like a picture of when I'm trying to visualize, what does it mean when Jesus comes down in the flesh, in, in, our, in our space, in our time, well, not ours, but, you know, in the world, in humanity, and identifies with us? Like, that's kind of the picture I get. He comes as a lowly man, you know, great God in the flesh, but a lowly man. He sits and identifies with people who are so below him, and yet he sits with us through suffering that he's been through himself. And now he does point us to a way out that really is a, a final eternal hope. Cap's the best. Gotta love him. So to wrap this together as a neat bow, um, I think it does come back to what N.T. Wright was was trying to communicate with that initial time article um, about lament and that this this is a season for of lament for many people. And as... Uh, Christians, as pastors, we need to enter into that lament um, as fellow sufferers with them um, rather than as experts telling them, well, I am the resident prophet of this area and here are all the reasons why this is happening. And instead, we enter in um, as fellow lamenters um, while we keep our eyes on the cross and I, I wish that he he highlighted that more we've already talked about it um but i think that's where we can kind of land this plane on 
um, laments, but let's make sure that we are cross and empty tomb oriented about that. It's good. Well, it's a great place to end. So thanks again for listening to the Thanos to Theos podcast. Uh, hopefully a place where you can find some sanity in this madness that we're in and uh, get your fill of geek, comic, nerd culture, and also hopefully some helpful pastoral and theological thoughts from some commenters like us. Uh, if you have any questions or want to reach out to us or just want to comment, we do have a Twitter handle. Uh, it's just at Thanos to Theos and a Gmail as well under the same name. So I hope to hear from you guys. And uh, even if you have any questions, things you want us to discuss for future podcasts, we love that feedback. Bye, guys. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thanos to Theos, part of the Rooted Network family of podcasts. For more resources designed to equip and encourage you to faithfully disciple students towards lifelong faith in Jesus Christ, be sure to find Rooted on the web at www.rootedministry.com.